This episode discusses sensitive topics related to weight, body image, and relationships. You may not want to listen with young children around. Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that one of my most popular styles, the little ruffle dress, is back on pre-order now because it is coming back in stock. If you're not familiar, I design a line called Impact Fashion that is made up of modest styles available in sizes 2 through 24. And before I bring in something new or restock a much-loved piece like the little ruffle dress, I put it on pre-order so that you can have the opportunity to get your hands on it without any stress. The Little Ruffle Dress is inspired by my need to constantly be comfortable and desire to wear all the frilly things while still feeling grown up. It is my take on a soft tiered dress and an update to the little black dress. Featuring soft gather details on the bodice, a tiered skirt, sleeve, and cuff, and a lightweight petty point fabric that begs to be twirled, the little ruffle dress is so comfortable, you'll forget you're wearing it until the compliments come rolling in. I'm placing my order with the factory first thing Tuesday morning, so the pre-order will close overnight Monday, and pre-orders are guaranteed to ship by February 20th. If you still see the words pre-order in the title on impactfashionnyc.com, you're not too late. Check out all my modest designs in sizes 2 through 24, including the little ruffle dress, by going to my website, impactfashionnyc.com. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. And on today's show, I sit down with a food blogger taking up the cause of body shaming. She shares why it's damaging for anyone at any size to be valued for their body, some more of the stories that came in, and gives exclusive updates on real change that has happened only in this first week. We also discuss the trophy wife aesthetic. Miriam Pascal Cohen does not want to talk about weight. Someone who has always been fat, it's a topic that's extremely difficult for her to unpack. But a series of events led to her opening this discussion in a more real and raw way than I think we've ever seen before. And it's also led to real change. Hello, Miriam. You have had an interesting week. Uh, you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> so over the last, um, we're recording this on Wednesday evening. And over the last couple of days, you have caused quite a stir in the um, in the from zeitgeist, I'd like to say, yes. um, on Matzah Shabbos, you opened the floor um, to your followers to share with you times when their body had been commented on, or times when they had been when when their body was a subject of discussion and how that made them feel and and what right. that was, and so the stories came, and. Yeah, I, I'd love to know what made you, th why? Why did you want to bring this up now? Yeah, so I'd love to tell you the backstory. But first, I want to tell you a compliment because. I'm um, all for compliments. I, yes, <laughs> my husband's favorite dress that I own is my blue impact fashion dress. Oh, the Jackie O dress. Yes, that's such it. a great piece. Every time I wear it, he's like, "Oh, I really like that dress." So I just wanted to give you that compliment. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a dress that was in the collection. You know, I own it for how many years? Twenty. Well, it uh, so. 
I'll tell you exactly when it was. The weekend of your book launch was actually a very difficult weekend for me. It was in December of 2019. Mm -hmm. um, and my grandfather had been sick for quite some time. And that week, the week right before, he actually took a sharp left turn, got like like got very bad. So I actually remember like crying in the bathroom at your launch party. But oh, uh, it was it was party. super intense. Um so yeah, the launch he had gotten really worse on Wednesday and then and then the launch party was on Sunday. So not to be a damper and depressing in this conversation, but I oh, know okay. exactly what it more was. Depressing, trust me. <laughs> we'll get very depressing tonight, people. It'll be good. And, um, and I don't I don't know if this is something you frequently do, but we probably should put a trigger warning for this whole episode because if if weight and body shaming and things like that are, are difficult and painful for you. Um, this might not be the episode for you to listen to. It, it this, might be cathartic, but it also might be difficult. So it will be intense. This is, this is going to get very intense very quickly. Um, so yeah, I'm so glad that you love that Jackie Odress. And it was so fun dressing you for that book launch. And by the way, I cook from the book twice a week easily. And half my Shabbos menu comes from there because it's because I don't have any time to make Shabbos. So it's like, I have all these menus that are like, get Shabbos done in under an hour. And it's just different. Um, like uh, combinations of stuff from more real life kosher cooking, which is oh, I love fantastic. Yeah, it's your book and it's Danielle's book, Peas, Love, and Carrots. Those are the two that I like constantly go back to all the time. I'm They're in very good company. <laughs> fantastic. So uh, yeah, what what made you decide to make all the from world go? Uh, you know, start talking about um, how we feel you, on our I skin. I never dreamed that this is what would happen. Um, in fact, my friend texted me the, the other night saying like, wow, you're viral. And I was like, this is not what I really wanted to go viral for. But that being said, so here's the backstory. Um, a couple months ago, I was on, on an airplane and I was bored. And so I did an AMA with my Instagram followers. And someone posted a question and she actually reached out to me and said, by the way, that was my question. I started this conversation, but she asked me a question. What's the worst advice you've ever received? And so I responded on my Instagram stories saying um, that if you ever want to get married, you have to lose a lot of weight mm. um, because nobody will marry you at your size, um, which is intensely painful for me to even talk about, even though I'm married. Um, and it came many times from many people in many forms and fashions. Um, and I posted that and I kind of was like regretting it. But then I was like, well, you know, it was like late Thursday night and who's going to see it and whatever. And I didn't really expect anyone to respond, but I got a ton of responses just from that one story saying like me, you know, me too. Um, actually, I, I hope this doesn't seem insensitive because obviously the Me Too movement is a big deal and very, very painful. But I actually had a few people saying, saying that they felt like they wanted to say me too with this because, um, of the things that were brought up. But um, I had a lot of comments from people saying that they would, um, that they, they, they experienced the same thing and that they, they found it very painful as well. And I, I had this little bug in my head at the time saying, you know, you're in a position to change, to, to open this dialogue. Um, I think <laughs> as you'll probably hear many times as we talk, um, my weight is a huge, huge, um, it's my big, my most self, the thing I'm most self-conscious about, um, especially being a food blogger, um, and being in the public eye, I have, I've never acknowledged them, definitely not publicly and never responded to them, obviously, but I have over the years gotten some really nasty comments. Like this is why you're fat kind of thing. Um, but I didn't want to talk about it and I still don't want to talk about it, but there was this little voice in my head that kept saying like, you're the one who's going to be able to make this conversation 
really go because I'm in a very um, visible position. I'm, I've been overweight my whole life. It's not, it's not like I'm, you know, it's not like I have 10 pounds to lose. I'm definitely very overweight. Um, and I, I, I just, I think there's not so many people in my position, not to say there are none. There are some really, really great people. Shout out to Alyssa Goldwater, for example, who is also a plus sized um, Instagram influencer who is very open about it. And she really talks a lot about plus size fashion. I don't talk about plus size fashion because fashion and me are, they don't go together. I don't know anything about fashion. <laughs> um, so it's, it's not really an area that I have, but I think, you know, I went through a lot of difficulties specifically with Shidduchim, which is, you know, dating in the, in the firm world. And I, I just felt like I was the person who could bring this conversation to the forefront. That being said, when I decided finally that I was going to post it, I never dreamed it would, it would snowball in this way. Um, and I, I actually was in the car. That was part of the reason I was like, okay, I'll post it um, on Saturday night. I posted it because my, we were driving, my husband was driving and I was in the car and it was a long drive. And I was like, well, I'll take the time to, to do this now. Um, and I said to my husband before I posted it, should I do it? And he was like, well, you have to realize like there's going to be backlash, um, you know, because anytime you post something that's intense or personal or painful, there is backlash. And I want to say there really wasn't. Um, I don't want to say there was zero. There was a few comments that that were a little odd or whatever, but really no, nothing. It was like shocking. How well, kind much of, when you say a little odd, was, was that people who were like, oh, you're just looking for validation for your own size type things or... Uh no, there was a few. Okay. I'm scared to say, say anything that will upset anyone specific, but like I, I posted at the end of, I feel like we're going backwards here, but at the end of all the stories I shared, I posted, what did you learn from this? And almost everybody said one of two things, either that they learned that they weren't as alone as they thought they were, which was really meaningful to me. Cause I think so many of us suffer in silence because when it's so painful and so raw, you don't really bring it up. And the truth is, I have some very, very close friends and some family members who struggle lifelong with weight. And I think I have an advantage in that way that I have people very close to me who have been through it also in different ways, but they've been through similar painful struggles. And so maybe I was a little more ready to talk about it than other people were. So back to what people learned, a vast... Uh, uh, almost all the comments fit into either I'm, I'm, I feel validated, I'm not so alone. And then the other, the other ones were people who had not experienced it saying how eye-opening it was, that they didn't realize how big of a deal it was to make comments about people's body and how much one comment that they thought was innocent or they thought was funny could really stick with someone for life. Um, and we'll get into more specifics, but just to give you an example of for life, someone sent me a story about a comment that happened when she was a child, like before she was a teenager and she said she's 70 and she still remembers who said it, when they said it, where they said it. So when I say for life, I'm not exaggerating. Um, but there were a few comments that really made me want to like throw my phone across the room of, you know, cause this is like after literally I did almost nothing. I didn't sleep Saturday night. I didn't sleep a wink. Um, Sunday night, I, I slept a few hours. Monday night, I also barely slept just reading and responding and like just being in pain with all the people who responded and like so many people were just like crying as they wrote it. And I was crying with them because again, we'll get to the stories, but they were, they were so heartbreaking. Um, and, you know, so after three days of this, um, someone 
someone wrote what she learned is like that when her children want seconds at dinner, she should make sure they have the vegetable or the protein and not the carb. <laughs> it's like, what? Darling, you have missed the point. Like, in such a spectacular way. <laughs> it's almost impressive. <laughs> oh, that, that it was. Really, really at that point when I saw that, I was like, I think I'm going to just flush my phone that's, down the toilet. That's impressive. No, that, no, I'm genuinely um, impressed at how off base that is. That's, yeah. That takes but real really, talent. I want to say that there was really almost zero negativity, which is shocking because you never have someone getting thousands, literally thousands and thousands of messages. And as we speak, there's still hundreds I haven't gotten to read yet. And I will read them all because everybody's pain deserves to be <laughs> acknowledged and shared. But um, when you have that volume of comments to have like almost zero negativity is really, really amazing. We are two women on the internet. We appreciate how ridiculously <laughs> rare that is, yeah. which I think just goes to show how widespread exactly how widespread and how hard hitting this is this is like the way that we feel in our skin really goes to the core of who we are in a lot of ways so going back to the beginning so mm -hmm. so i i posted i reposted that you know what's the worst advice you ever received and then i i put a question box and i said share your story and i'm gonna confess (laughs) when i posted that i put my phone down and picked it back up and I said I'm gonna delete it because I said to myself I'm gonna get like two people sharing and it's gonna be just like me making a fuss about nothing and I seriously was like I opened my phone like to delete that story and then I was like no no I'm not gonna do that um (laughs) and obviously instead of you know not having anyone share it was it was crazy um I had just everywhere and and there was so much that I learned from the stories and I think we should finally start getting to them I want to hear some of these stories let's let's hear what what were some of the things that that were being shared so I mean just endless comments of people starting in their childhood being told do you really want to eat that or if you wouldn't eat that you wouldn't be so fat or being taken to Weight Watchers um ironically I don't know if it's ironic is the right word um, you know, me and May being the daughter of uh, someone who has a degree in linguistics. <laughs> I'm like, don't, I don't want to use the wrong word. But um, <laughs> I, um, I had a couple of people who went to the same children's weight loss group back in the day. I don't know if they know each other because obviously everything was completely anonymous. But um, a few people mentioned I had never heard of it. Um, I probably would have been in that group had I been living in in Brooklyn, but um, multiple people went to the same children's weight loss group. Um, And and the bullying, well, bullying is the wrong word because, and I think this is really one of the first and most important lessons that really people need to take from this is that the vast majority of the stories that people shared were comments made by people who love them and who thought they were doing the right thing and who genuinely wanted to help. And I think that is really the lesson we need to learn above all else because the lesson here isn't don't shame people for their weight or even don't comment on people's bodies not to say those aren't important lessons but the overarching lesson really is watch what you say because it has such a lifelong impact and you might think it's an innocent comment but you might not even realize the person could hear you. There were stories of people who told me, you know, 30 years ago, they overheard their mother telling their friend, 
I wish my daughter would lose 25 pounds. And, you know, she was a teenager and now she's a middle-aged woman. I also want to want to apologize for whoever sent in stories and is listening to this. I might be getting details wrong. The messaging is all very clear. I'm not reading specific messages. Um, I'm telling over stories and, you know, the details might be a little off. Um, but the, the general idea is there that, that, you know, people overhear comments that weren't even made directed to their face, but they're still hearing it. Um, and the other thing, and this was also such a huge theme from the stories, is people talking about their mother's obsession with her own weight. And this how was something that-, that struck me. This was, I was reading this and almost in tears. The- and I want to tell you something interesting because, sorry, I'm cutting you off. I'm so- Please, please cut me off, uh, go. I want to tell you something interesting. I'm, I'm a little bit, I, I'm self-diagnosed ADHD. <laughs> and if I don't say it when it comes into my head, it's just gone. But no, that's totally fine. Go for it. But the, the thing, the thing that's very striking is that at the end, when I asked, I did some polls. And by the way, all this is on my Instagram Um highlights so you can go back and and see them if if you missed it but I did some polls at the end and one of the questions was um were you put on a diet before age before high school and a bunch of people messaged me and they said well I put myself on a diet before high school does that count and that really provoked a very interesting question because if your high school starts when you're 13 14 so if you're a 12 year old kid putting yourself on a diet are you really putting yourself on that diet or are you learning to hate your body from someone else, whether it's from your classmates or whether it's from your mother or whether it's from TV, but are you learning hmm. hate? It's an interesting question. And I kind of fall into this category, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I, I, I don't know. What did I put on a diet or did I go on a diet? Did I tell my mother I wanted to be on I remember go, being on a diet. I don't remember who initiated it. It was very clear that I had weight to lose and, you know, but I, I, again, I, I, I hope it's okay to say this, but it almost feels like, you know, there's an age of consent. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like that kind of thing. Like when you're below a certain age, you don't, you can't put yourself on a diet because you're doing it. Like, firstly, your parents are helping you. You're not going, you're not putting yourself on a diet in a vacuum. Some, someone's got to go to the grocery also, store, right? Right. But also, are you really putting yourself on a diet if you're 10, 12 years old? I don't know. It's I don't an interesting question. I'll tell you what my I'll tell you what my experience was. My experience was I was always a chubby kid. Always, always a chubby kid. I, I no. thought of myself as as fat when you like when you do the like BMI things. I always came back as obese. I was wearing like a lady size 10 when I was in like maybe fifth grade. And I was probably bigger than that, so. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know you then. So whatever. I was always a chubby kid. Um, I was always chubby. I was always short. Like that's just the way that I was for as long as I can remember. My pediatrician told me that I was fat and I needed to lose weight. Um, literally, literally like that is the only thing that I remember about this woman is that she told me that I was fat and I needed to lose weight. Um, she had a particular fixation on weight, um, that I I think so many people yeah, that like this, this intent, but also like from, from a very, very young age. Like I remember her telling this to me when I was maybe five. Um, and which is just, I don't know, 
psychotic and borderline abusive in its own way, I think, but that could just be my own childhood trauma. A lot of stories of, of toddlers being told by their pediatrician that they need to lose weight. And it's like, if someone remembers when they're an adult, that when they were five, six years old, their pediatrician told them to lose weight. How is that not trauma? (laughs) Right, exactly. And for, and in, so I remember her just always saying, you have to lose weight. You have to lose weight. You are too. Like I, she would weigh me at every visit. Do you, you want to know this? I was an adult before I learned that most offices do not weigh you at a sick visit. I didn't know that that was a thing. I got weighed every single time I went to the pediatrician's office and because it wasn't that you can't be sick without also being fat. Exactly. And I, and to be perfectly honest, I should ask other family members who are smaller than I was, if they were also weighted every visit, I'm nearly positive that they were. I think that that was just her policy, but it wasn't until I was an adult and, uh, and somebody else who also used this pediatrician told me that she was taking her oldest child to a different doctor because no one who used this doctor took their kids back. Um, she was taking her oldest child to a different doctor for a sick visit and they didn't weigh her son. And she was, she was like, what, you're not going to weigh him? And they're like, no, why would we weigh him? He's here for a cold. Like, it just wasn't, she was like, wait, that's not a thing that you need, like, medically? Um, and it was a whole other thing that she had to work through. And she told me this, and I was like, wait, that's not a thing? What is, what do you mean that's not a thing? And so when I was, the first time that I went on a formal diet, I was in eighth grade. I was in eighth grade. I lost about 30 pounds. And I did it with Weight Watchers. and the i have two distinct memories of that time the first one was that like i'm going to do this and like like feeling very um i don't know if like control is the right word or just like feeling very motivated to make it happen and 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 really liking all of the attention that i got when i did eventually lose weight and the other memory that sticks out even more oh, clearly yeah, th- like tons and tons and tons of attention. And the other thing that that comes out even more clearly is that I have a very distinct memory of being, I believe it was in ninth grade, um, measuring my cereal and milk in the morning. It was a half a cup of, of milk with a cup of cereal and literally holding a measuring cup and measuring out the cereal and milk and staring at this measuring cup filled with cereal going, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I'm not, this is like, just like, I don't like, no, I'm not, me- I'm not measuring the cornflakes anymore. And and that was basically when I stopped. Like it was a very distinct moment for wow. me. So yeah, did I put myself on the diet when I was 13? Was I put on it? Definitely no one in my family was like, you need to stop eating that. Right. I don't, I don't, right. The question is, did it come? I mean, if your pediatrician was always telling you that you were fat, then very likely it came, the idea came from right. her. It, the question isn't who the influence came from. The question is more, and this is really just something for people to think about. The question is, I don't even know how to word it, but does a child at that age really have the ability to decide on their own they want to go on a diet? Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's something to chew on. Yeah. Pun fully intended. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I hear you. It's, um, and and when you were talking, you know, when the stories that came up about the girls noticing how their mother talked about themselves. Right. Right. That's and, what scares me. Yeah. And, and I, I think, and this is, it's like, it's so scary because I think there's an entire generation of women who are starting to understand, you know, in different degrees of understanding, but there's, there's definitely awareness in our generation 
that we need to do better. We need to change something. Um, but I think the biggest problem with that is that we don't really know how to build this healthy body image in our children. And, and I was about to say daughters, but I'm saying children because this is 100% applies to men. And I've, I've had a bunch of discussions over the last couple of days with men in my comments who are also in pain. Um, so I, I don't like, <laughs> I don't like that this keeps saying being about females because it's really invalidating to the men who went through this also. But um, how do we do better for our children when we don't, how do we build a healthy body image for our children when we don't have a healthy body image? And, and that leads us to the, the next thing that I really, really want to talk about, which is how mind-blowing it was for me as, again, I've been fat my entire life. And just to be clear for anyone listening who thinks I'm, um, that's like a self-deprecating comment, it's not. It's just an objective term to describe how I look. Um, the same way I'm tall and I'm strawberry blonde and I'm fat. It's just what it is. Um, and there's definitely a level of self-acceptance to, to say that. Um, but, you know, so I've been fat my whole life and I've been the recipient of body shaming my whole life. But it was really, really surprising to me to hear from people who are thin. Um, two things. Firstly, people who are thin but not as thin as their family members. I heard from people who said that they're a size four, but their sisters are a size zero or two. And so they were the fat sister, which you see, that's where the, the, the word fat becomes a negative word <laughs> when you use right. it to describe someone who A, is not fat and B, is you're, you're describing them in a bad way and you're using fat. So it becomes a derogatory word when it shouldn't be. But um, I mean, that was mind blowing to me because like, you know, for people who struggle with their weight, like to be a size four, that's like so much below my goal weight. Right. Like, never in my life and never in my, I, never in my life have I been, or I think never in my life will I be no, I, a I'm, size four. I'm very confident saying that even with like dangerously unhealthy, unhealthy eating habits, which I'm obviously not advocating for. I would never be a size four. That's just not what my body wants to be right. and what my body is intended to be. And that's okay. Um, that's, that's the hardest thing to accept, but that's okay. Um, so there was a lot of those comments or people who are like a size eight, 10, which why are we calling them fat? Like, that was they, me. Yeah. But yeah. you know, uh, women who are size eight are being called fat. Like that's mind blowing to me. Like, why are they made to feel like that's a problem? <laughs> but the other side of it was, and this was really also very, very, very eye-opening to me because I have to admit, like you would think, you know, with everything I've been through in my life, I've, why would I have ever body shamed anyone? But no, I am guilty of this. There is definitely body shaming on the opposite extreme. Also, people have told me stories that were really, really heartbreaking, like a total stranger walking up to someone and saying, I hate you because you're so skinny. Ugh. Who the hell does that? Now, I, I'm not excusing it. I sort of understand it because there was a part of me until I started to really understand. I mean, really the last few days have changed my perspective forever because especially when it comes to skinnier people, um, hate is the wrong word, but am I jealous of people who are naturally thin? I am. And so the person, I'm going to guess the person made it this comment in jest, but when someone tells you, I hate you because you're thin, 
how yeah. how wrong is that and That's someone weird. else someone else said a to- again someone said to their face you you're so gross it's, you're so skinny it's gross that i've heard that and i definitely heard not awful. directed at me but yeah i've heard people say that to other people that will never be directed at me no one would ever think that about me but i mean so and i think this is where where it's interesting because as bad as the body shaming is for fat people nobody in today's day and age you know <laughs> in europe 500 years ago maybe but nobody today's day and age is is going to say like that is a positive thing like oh you're so fat you're so lucky so therefore they wouldn't say in a nice friendly way you're so you're so fat it's gross they might think it unfortunately but they're not going to say that but i think because they're saying like your skinny equals good to some you know this is the mindset when skinny equals good then oh you're so skinny it's gross it's again it's like almost in jest like like oh i'm giving you a compliment so it's okay to also say something mean do you understand what I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah, I hear it. I'm it's not almost- right. I'm not excusing it. I'm saying like the, the mindset that causes these comments is like, oh, it's a compliment, right. which is not. But, you know, and then other skinny shaming people told me um, they were compared to Holocaust survivors and stuff like that. Um, but like just really, really awful. And the, 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 the other thing that really, really struck me is that people, I heard this from so many people it was really surprising who said they were praised their entire lives for being skinny which again why are we praising someone for being skinny like oh you're so tall you're you're amazing that you're tall like what do you mean that's just the way my body is right Right. Um, the fact that you wear a size seven shoe is really so it's so great about you I really I wish that I I admire that about (laughs) yeah I wish that I could wear a size seven shoe people say that when when they're when they are praised their entire lives for being skinny, it, it, their entire self-worth becomes like, I'm skinny and therefore I'm, I'm good. And so they said when they inevitably gained weight, whether it's from pregnancy or medications or health issues, whatever it is, they lost their whole sense of self-worth. And again, we're not talking about them even being fat or anywhere remotely fat. We could be talking about someone who went from a size zero to a size four and yet their whole self, sense of self-worth is destroyed by the fact that like, I'm not skinny and that's what was praiseworthy about me. Could you imagine if instead of right. people praising them their entire lives for being skinny, it was like, wow, you have such a good heart. You're so kind. You're such a good friend. Then your self-worth is based on something that A, you did something to achieve, but B, like you're not going to lose. Like right. to build someone's self-worth around the way they look when your looks change, nobody's going to be the same size their whole life. So that was also That's very- such an interesting uh, way to frame it because I've actually, fa- I recently found myself very annoyed at something similar. Um, I think it was someone online who was talking about how um, I think that she was a somewhat significant amount postpartum. I want to say probably somewhere around nine months to like maybe 18 months postpartum. And she was, she had been super thin before mm-hmm. and she was like posting like, bef- like how she had looked before with how she looks now. And she's got a belly. She looks postpartum and, but she's still thin by every objective measure. And she's talking about not so much body image struggles, but just like how weird it is to her to be like in this bigger body. And I'm looking at her, you know, quote, bigger body. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know? <laughs> so I want to tell you something about this. I, I, 
so much to say. How many hours do we have? <laughs> we will we, go until we both fall asleep at the mic. It's fine. Okay. Um, so my, um, I have, I have a lot to say about this. I had a lot, a lot of, of very interesting um, conversations, even debates in my DMs about it. Um, I'm like debating how personal to get, but I had, I've, I have some, I said, I have some friends and family who struggle with weight. I also have very close friends and family who are very, very, very like the opposite, opposite side of the spectrum of the spectrum for me, very, very thin. And it took me a long time and a lot of maturity, <laughs> if it's okay to praise myself for that, um, to understand that body image problems are not owned by fat people. Yeah. It doesn't matter if someone's a size four and I'm not, they still get to not like their body because it's not really about your size. It's about how you feel about your size. And so it took me years to be able to accept that it's okay for my skinny friends to hate their, I mean, hate their body is such a strong word, but that's what our generation learned to do, right? To hate our body. Like they're allowed to have that same struggle. Right. Even if, like, even if we're thinking, oh, if I had, if I was wearing a size two, like, of course I would feel fantastic about myself. You don't necessarily know that to be true. That was something that I learned from doing fittings. Um, there's there, there, when, because I, you know, because I do, you know, my line is sizes two through 24 and I do custom clients of all sizes, you know, both above and below that range. And, you know, the, you know, this you're, you know, you're in a fitting and things come out. It's just, it's just the way that it is. And I have heard super confident women who are getting dresses custom made by me because they are too big for my biggest size and super insecure women who are getting things made from, from me because they're too small for my smallest size. And it's not something that's owned by, you know, it's right. fat people don't have a monopoly on this. Right. And yet also as someone who is like very much average American woman size, and someone who has all this exposure to, you know, this body diversity and also just the reality of everyone's experiences, it is hard for me to not roll my eyes just a teeny tiny bit, not, not to their face, but a little bit behind their back. It right. is, it is, it is, I can understand it, but it's really hard for me to relate. A hundred percent the same, but I want to tell you a couple of things. Firstly, if you just saw um, my, me looking like I'm not paying attention to you. I am, but I was looking up on my phone to find, um, from this poll that I did. Um, one of the questions I asked was, are you happy with the body you currently live in? And only 33% of the people said yes. That high? I know. I know. (laughs) That high? How many people answered that poll? Uh, well, about 4,000. Wow. And 33% of them said yes. Yeah. I guess those 33% all went to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I, want to say, I want to say something else because back to the debates and and discussions I had in my comments, there were a lot of people who were like angry that people dare complain about their bodies to bigger friends and bigger family. And I, I know what they mean because I get it. I, as a child, as a teenager, I, could not handle it. I was so mad when someone would dare say like, 
oh, this makes me look fat. Like, how dare you say that? I'm fat. You're not fat. Um, but <clears throat> I could be wrong. This is not something I've proven or something that I've confirmed. But I think body dysphoria is so intense. I don't think they realize how insensitive they're being. Not that they don't know logically that I'm fatter than them, but I think they don't see it as the disparity the way I do. That's an interesting I could be wrong, point. but I think body dysphoria is so strong. And speaking of body dysphoria, sorry, I'm jumping. I told you Please. I jumped around a little bit. Um, somebody, one of the stories that I shared, not stories, but one of the things that I shared was someone wrote that they look at pictures of when they thought they were so fat and they wish now that they looked that good. And this is the thing that made the biggest difference in my own body image. Hundreds and hundreds of people responded saying, me too. That yeah. is how I feel. And I, I have pictures, some of the oldest pictures of my phone, I will not delete them because I need them as a reminder are of me when I was much thinner than I am now. I look at them and I, I look so different now than I did then. And yet at the time, I looked in the mirror and I see the exact same thing I see in the mirror today. I'll never look in the mirror and see myself looking different. So, you know, I think a little bit of compassion <laughs> needs to go to people who we see as so, you know, they're so much thinner and like, oh, I wish I would look like that. And maybe not everybody looks at thinner people and wishes, but the point is, I don't think they see it the same way the thinner people see it in the same way. I, I just really think that there's a body dysphoria thing going on where they just, they're like, oh, you know, it's a struggle that we both have. Right. Something that just popped into my head is that because it's so ingrained in the culture that like to be that like part of being a woman is not liking the way you look because we're we've yeah. been so bombarded with these messages. It's not really surprising that any woman, no matter how big she is, is dissatisfied with the way she looks, whether that has to do with like having a bigger belly or feeling like she must do Botox or, or you know, again, feeling like she has to live up to the praise of being told, wow, you're so thin. Right. right. Like it's, it's almost like you have, like, it's, it's a radical thing of, I, of what's the phrase? Radical self-acceptance, self-acceptance. Can I just make a comment for people who know me? Do you think they recognize that sound? <laughs> It's, just it's the good it. ice, everybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to leave people hanging on that. Um, oh, this is why we're friends. Um, the, the, like, it's, you know, the, the phrase radical self-acceptance, it really is a radical idea going against the, the whole culture to accept yourself exactly as right. you are. And, and, and skinny women are a part of that. You know, right. they, they, they are, they are part of that. So it's almost like they have to find something to hate about themselves in order to fit in. Right. And, and I, I really, I started my stories that night with a disclaimer, and I really should go back and say that for this episode. Um, this is not about weight loss. This is not about diet or anti-diet. Um, you know, this is just about body image and nothing else. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, like, I'll give you an example. And I heard this from a lot of people. When, when people go to get their, their, um, a gown for their wedding, the fitters 
in these gown places always say like, oh, should we make it tighter? Cause you're going to dye it for your wedding. Mm. That doesn't seem to be exclusive to bigger women. It seems like that's just the assumption that you're going to dye it for your wedding because that's the assumption of women that you always want to be thinner. You always want to change the way you look. Right. Which is a terrible assumption to make. Also as the resident fashion person, I feel the need to say for the love of God, please do not make your dress smaller than you need. They can always do a last minute alteration. If you are significantly smaller a couple of days before the wedding, any gown place that is worth the brick and mortar space that they take up, will be able to do that. And you will only cause yourself needless aggravation are you saying please, it's a please, lot easier please, to take it in than to take it out? 100%. Okay. Just 100%. 100% it is. And also, like, why put yourself That's under that pressure? Of people not fitting in at the last minute. Yeah. No. Oh, duh. For the love of God, please make your dresses fit your body exactly as they are right now. On behalf of all fashion professionals, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that came up in in your stories and this was something that i'll be perfectly honest as someone who like i said is pretty average sized um i never even thought of um and that was the whole mikvah aspect of this uh for anyone who's not familiar there are laws of family purity when it comes oh that sounds so awkward to say when you translate into english but basically orthodox jews have a very specific rhythm to their sex lives and in the space um when a woman has her period and for a portion of time afterwards the couple will not be together um and then kind of the culmination of this period is a trip to the mikvah which literally translates to ritual bath um and you are naked in front of another woman and you immerse yourself in the waters and emerge spiritual and cleansed and go to chabad.org for any more information on this if you are morbidly curious that's basically what it is um and it's a really lovely and beautiful experience i should say um and but also it sounds strange to translate um and yes it's a very vulnerable thing for women. Um, 100%. You're naked. You're naked. A stranger. Yeah. And it's like, very, very vulnerable. And the, the attendant, also known as a mikvah lady, really, and I, I knew this before, but I, it's my understanding of it is so much strengthened now, really is in control of whether or not this is a beautiful, holy experience for you or a terrible experience for you. And I want to be very, very, very clear. I tried to clarify this on my stories, but I'm going to clarify it again here. 99.9% of the stories that I got and that I've heard are the McFaladies have been nothing but incredible. And they shouldn't look more than they, you know, the, the, the idea is they're supposed to look away until you're ready to actually dip and look while you dip and then look away while you're getting out and putting your robe back on. It's not meant to be that they're looking at your body. They're just there to see that your body is fully immersed. That's the whole job that they have. So firstly, so there's two issues that came up. Um, there were a number of stories which were so upsetting about McFaladies commenting on people's bodies and again this is a tiny 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 minority of people um because again most mikvah ladies are there just to see that your full body is immersed they don't look they don't comment that's the way it should be there were a few comments made that were really 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 heartbreaking um one of them I, um uh, monday night i didn't i didn't really sleep because the last <laughs> It was like one of the last comments I read before I, I tried going to sleep and it really stuck with me like the whole night. I was just, um, I like don't even want to say it, but I'm going to because 
I think in order to understand the, the vastness of the problem, we need to confront how big and bad it is. And so a lady was told by a McFell lady that she should lose weight because the McFell lady said, I can't imagine your husband looking forward to this. Oh. And <laughs> I actually reached out to her. A bunch of people like told me they think it's made up. And I actually reached out to her and we, we had a discussion. Um, I, I reached out to her because I wanted to see if I could I could help her learn that it doesn't have to be that way. Because she said she never went to the mikveh again. And I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, if we would hear that, I think we'd all... Yeah, I'm not going back. Probably at least consider not going back. Um, and so I reached out to her. If she, her, her husband passed away and she's not, you know, mikveh is not a current issue for her anyway. Um, but I mean... It's such a basic part. And again, for people who, who, who aren't, you know, Orthodox Jews, it's such a huge part of, of our religion. It's, it's really right there at the core of it. And for a woman to cause another woman not to go back because she body shamed her. And there were a couple of stories where people said they didn't go back or they skip going to the mikvah when they're supposed to because of being body shamed. And it's the, the magnitude of what they did is is hard to comprehend it's hard for someone to who might not understand how how core this whole concept of of mikvah and, and these family purity laws are to judaism the stand if you want if you would ask me if somebody is religious if they were from if they were you know orthodox um there's generally like an accepted definition and that's if they keep these three things shabbos kosher and mikvah and if you do those three things, then you're from, according to pretty much all like accepted rabbis. So to to make the decision to stop going is it's a it's big deal. It's not it's a, a big deal. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that that was so painful. But almost to make up for that, mm -hmm. it was such a beautiful thing. So the other issue that came up about mikvah is is much it's really just an awareness issue um which is that a lot of ladies brought up that that the mikvah doesn't have robes that are big enough for them or many mikvahs have robes that are big enough but either people don't know or they have to ask which is embarrassing or conversely because <laughs> actually uh, there's a, there's a mikvah lady that that i i work with and and she's incredible um and so I, I called her to have a, a long discussion about everything that came up because like she's she actually trains McFill ladies all around the country and she's just and and to be very, very honest and vulnerable, um, I was terrified to go to the McFill when I was engaged, um, you know, because it's something you start doing when you're married and I was terrified and and so uh, it's going to be complicated. Um, my college teacher um, who is preparing me, you know, with the laws to go to the mikvah. Um, I, I don't think I even fully expressed, but I think she, she was intuitive enough to understand that I was just like not able to comprehend the idea of being naked in front of a stranger. Like it was just so terrifying to me. And so she sent me to this specific woman who was amazing and she just made me feel so comfortable and safe. And I didn't know how lucky I was to have that experience until I heard the bad experiences. But anyway, so I, I spoke to her at length about the robes, the robe issue. And she told me it's a very difficult situation because 
you know, she said like she knew I was coming and she knew which room she was going to put me in like to prepare. So she put a, a larger robe in there because she knew I would need it. But she said, you know, and I heard this from people. I heard both sides. I had I heard people say they were offended that they were offered a larger robe and people saying they wish they didn't have to ask for a larger robe. And it's really a no win. And I said to her, what about putting a larger robe in every room? And she said, that's also a problem because people don't won't realize it's the larger robe. They'll use it without needing it, then they won't have enough. It's really, it's, it's a, it's a technical question. issue. And then if, then you're going to, you're going to, right. And it's just, it's a, it's a practical issue, but then you're, you'd say, well, just have only bigger robes because everybody will fit into the bigger robes, but not everybody fits into the smaller robes. But surprisingly enough, I heard from a few women who said they're too petite for the even regular size robes and they have to bring their own smaller robe. So it's really it's, a no win situation. A, and it's just a, it's a technical issue that, is tricky and and it's delicate because again mikvah is a vulnerable time so you have to be delicate with everything that you deal with in this but um i wonder if there was a system where if like okay so the mikvah that i go to for example i heard of a mikvah that says ring the bell and ask if you need one meaning instead of having to ask in the outer area when you're in your own private room you can ring the bell and ask and i thought that was a really oh that that works i'm thinking like in the way i don't know if all mikvahs are 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 set up this way this way but from i mean i haven't toward any but from like my understanding of the ones that i've been to there's like a general waiting area and then there's usually a hallway that have all of the different prep rooms off of it so i wonder if instead of having a robe inside the room waiting for you if there was like a shelf in the hallway that had all of the different robes and you just took whichever size you needed because then everybody's taking from that shelf and you don't have to ask anybody so so let me tell you about what what happened so I've been hearing a lot of feedback that my stories have been causing a lot of discussions in a lot of different places. And one of them is groups of college teachers and mikvah ladies. You've hit the mikvah lady chat. Um, big You've time. reached the mikvah lady chat. <laughs> um, but I want to tell you the most beautiful things that came out of this. A number of people told me they called their local mikvah to, and, um, to sponsor larger robes. Oh, nice. Um, and the mikvah lady chat was all talking about... An, Tons of them were ordering larger robes for their McFos. And in fact, there was one where they found a place where if they order in bulk, it's cheaper. So a bunch of McFos got together to get a bulk discount for larger size robes. And I actually didn't respond yet. So <laughs> if she listens to this podcast, uh, <laughs> I hope um, I, I'm going to respond soon. But um, the the owner of a, of a plus size store um, reached out to me and said she wants to um, donate some larger robes to McFos that don't have them. So we'll have to figure out the logistics of, of which ones need it. Um, that being said, if if you go to a mikvah that you don't think has a larger robe, it's possible they do and you just have to ask. Right. Um, I also want to say that if they don't reach out to me, because people are very happy, a number of people reached out and said they would like to donate mikvah, um, larger robes to a mikvah that doesn't have it or doesn't have enough. So don't sit quietly, you know, it's, it's, this, is, this is an area where a little bit of self-advocacy can go a right. very long way. I did hear from some women who said that they were embarrassed to, to, to raise it. And I, I offered to do it for them. Listen, I hate making phone calls, but like, it's such an important thing. I'll make the call. I'll call them. And I'm like so far removed from it. They don't know who I am. I'll never be at that mix for most likely, but just, to and they'll say- probably be really happy to hear from Mary Pascal. They'll be like, can I also have some brownies? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, it's it's just so important, but I'm just the change, like practical change that McFos, more McFos are having larger robes because of these stories. It's just wow. I, I'm just 
it's amazing. It's, it's, awesome. it's amazing what will happen. Like just when you shed light on a problem. That right. I want to, I, I want to say one last thing before we move away from this mikvah topic. And that is if anybody listening has any kind of uncomfortable experience with your mikvah, whether that is with a specific attendant or with the general attitude of the attendants in the, you know, in the mikvah in your neighborhood or whatever, it does not have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. It is, it is wrong for it to be that way. And if you're in a situation, listen, if you live in New York, then just go to a different mikvah. I guarantee you that there are plenty close by. You can, you know, drive a little bit longer and be fine. If you're living in an area with only one mikvah, talk to your community rabbis, talk to them. And I want to know that so many mikvah ladies reached out to me saying exactly this. They said, this is not acceptable. She should not be a mikvah lady. If she's making these kind of comments, this must be reported. She must not have this job anymore. Um, and again, they said also, if you have an issue with the mikvah as a whole, you speak to the community rabbi because this is not acceptable. Again, the idea that a woman is debating whether or not to go to the mikvah because she had a bad experience is just the the worst, most awful thing to imagine. And the rabbi will absolutely help you. Like, even if you speak, because you can also speak to the head of the mikvah, but if the head of the mikvah doesn't help, like you go above them, you, you do what you need, like you advocate for yourself because it's, it's completely unacceptable and absolutely should be reported. Yes. What, amen. What she said, all of that. Um, it, it should not be in an, it, listen, it is, there is an inherent level of slight awkwardness going on and like, oh my God, Lord, help me if I ever see the McFill lady in like errands or the grocery store or whatever. Like, no, I'm not pretending that I see her. I, just, I through my stories, I found out that a couple of people I know are McFill ladies and I was like, oh God. <laughs> You're like, oh no. <laughs> Great. Now we never can talk to each other ever again. Or, or you just like, wait, which McFills do you work in? I need to know to never go there. Exactly. Um, oh God. Um, but it's there is an inherent level of slight awkwardness, but it should not feel intrusive. It should not feel violating. It should not feel disrespectful. Right. Um, and, and, and one last thing I want to I want to reiterate before we go on to the next topic is that this is a tiny, tiny, tiny minority of McFillies of McFill stories. Ninety nine point nine percent of them are not like this. I just, I feel like we focused so much on the negative. I just want to reiterate, it's not like this. And I actually had a couple of single women reach out to me saying like, they're terrified to get engaged and to get married because of this. And I told them when you're, when you get engaged, you call, um, reach out to me. I'm going to find you a mix lady who will be, make you comfortable and will make you feel accepted and, and, and safe and not judged in any way. But it's really, really not the norm. And it's just, I cannot reiterate that enough because I just don't want people to walk away from this thinking that that is the norm. Correct. Yes. Thank you for reiterating that. What was, what was something else that like came out of all of this? What was something that you, you know, what were some other overarching themes that you encountered? Okay. okay. A couple of things. Firstly, I, I touched on this, but I want to reiterate, this is not a female issue. It's more predominantly a female issue. And a couple of people kind of tried to hijack the stories by saying like, this is a, a, a feminist issue. And I, I really tried to put a stop to it. And I said, no, I heard from men who are hurt just as much as women um, in different ways. Um, nicknames are huge among the stories I heard from men. Like, I mean, I, I don't, you know, women are not calling their friends fatso. Right. But guys will be called fatso as like a joke. And it might seem like a joke. And, you know, I know, I know a heavy guy who is called tiny as a joke. 
And I don't think that's any less hurtful than being called fatso because it's clearly, you know, and they might laugh it off, but honestly, let's be honest, deep inside, you think they're not hurt by it. Um, so it's very, very much not a woman's issue exclusively, even though it feels like it is. And there's definitely an industry that makes it feel, that makes it worse for women, but it's not a woman's issue exclusively. Um, another thing that came up, oh man, I have so much to say on it. It's like hard to start, but shadacham. <laughs> yeah. It's, you, you know, you mentioned that's how this started. You mentioned that, you know, the worst piece of advice you ever received was that you're never going to get married at your current weight. Is it, Abe, are you able to like articulate why something like that is so hurtful? Yes. It's hard for me to talk about, but I'm going to, because I want to tell you a few, a few older singles who struggle with weight reached out to me and I really I'm so happy because this is why I did it. I want everybody to be helped, but I want, if one person doesn't go through the pain that I went through, it was worth exposing myself in this way. Um, so here's the thing. When you're told, I got married in my thirties. So I was told for 10 plus years, the only way you're ever going to get married is to lose weight or no guy is ever going to marry you at your current size. Let's translate that. Okay. You're hideous. You're not attractive. No guy will ever find you attractive. That's what you're being told. And when you're told that enough, you believe it. And so what happens is, and this is what happened to me. I believed it. I didn't believe I was never going to get married. Part of me, maybe a little bit was like doubtful, but I believed I would get married. But what I believed was that one day I would find a man who would be a good enough human that he would look past the way I look and appreciate who I am on the inside. And that's terrible because that's not what you're looking for. You're not looking for someone who thinks you're good enough. You're looking for someone and you will find someone who thinks that you're beautiful and that you look beautiful and who's not bothered by your size, but is attracted to you at your size. And here's the, here's the problem. When you're told so many times that you're not attractive and you're not beautiful and you believe it, here's what happened. When I got married and my husband would tell me you're beautiful, I didn't believe him. And I wish I could tell you that that changed, but we're married two and a half years. I'm very happy. He's an amazing, amazing person. And he tells me every single day that I'm beautiful. And every single time he says it, I don't really believe him. And that's so awful. And I don't know if I'll ever fully believe him when he tells me I'm beautiful. And I think it took me till I got married, until I understood how damaging these comments were, until I understood that it's actually possible that a man can find you attractive regardless of what size you are, regardless of how you look. Because yes, every man is attracted to different types of women. And it's not that someone will love you despite your looks, they'll love you for your looks. And I think in this world, because there's such a strong focus on, on finding thin women and in the shidduch system, you know, the, the way it works is that the mother is like the first line of defense. And 
I think the mothers are all looking for skinny girls without stopping to say to themselves or to say to their sons, are you attracted to a really skinny girl? And I actually heard from a couple of people who said, my son is not attracted to extra to the really skinny girls. He wants a girl who's a little more curvy. And I think that's so brave that they had the guts to tell their mothers like, no, stop looking for the size zero. That's not what I want. Right. That's an awkward conversation to have with your kid. Yeah, but you know what? I want to tell you a few stories that people sent. Someone told me that her mother-in-law, now, I mean, speaking of horrible, horrible comments, two days after Shem Brachos, so, you know, a little over a week after the wedding, her mother-in-law said to her, I don't know why you sent a picture of yourself that made you look so much skinnier than you are. If I had known how big you really are, I wouldn't have let my son go out with you. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. That actually exited her mouth. Uh, There were some other stories that the same woman shared, but um, yeah. And not not the only, I heard another one where someone said her mother-in-law, I don't remember if her mother-in-law said it to her face or she overheard her mother-in-law saying like, that like she was the exact opposite of what she, what this mother-in-law was expecting for her son in terms of her size. Um, but the, the, the idea, and, and I'll tell you something interesting. It's not, it's not only a firm problem. One of my followers actually sent me a really interesting study that according to dating sites, men only want very thin women. According to porn sites, men do not only want very thin women. That's fantastic data. Yeah. Wow. I want to tell you and something. also accurate, because like porn is something you watch alone. <laughs> exactly. You and know what I mean? Like you're not worried about other people's judgment. That was like where the, the 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 commentary on it was like from psychologists saying, guys want the thin women to be like the trophy when that's not necessarily what they want, but they want their friends to admire their thin women. So like going back to like, we're so obsessed with thinness that like a guy might be attracted to a heavier woman, but be like, oh, what are my friends going to think? That's so sad. Yeah. And really all of this, all of this that I did and all of this, I mean, really, I'm I'm like such a mess. (laughs) really it really messed with my, me like emotionally to to read literally thousands of stories of people really pouring out like such trauma um and I really did it as much as I want to help everybody I did it because I so badly want the single women out there to know you are not looking for a man who will look past your size you're looking for a man who will find you beautiful and if you don't believe me and my personal story I heard so many horror stories about childhood trauma and being badgered into getting thin for shaduchim and all these things. And so, so, so many of them ended off with, and now I'm married to a, an amazing man who loves me. He doesn't care about my weight. A lot of people said their husbands make cute comments like there's more of you to love or, you know, people say like, oh, I love your curves or, you know, all these kind of things. So many of the stories ended this way. So like all this pain of like, you're never going to get married if you don't lose weight. And yet, they do get married because that's not reality that you don't get married if you're fat, you do. But more importantly, like all this buildup and all this trauma and the 
the the men who marry them don't care and yet people are causing the trauma and eating disorders and that's another whole topic we could get into of like people who are literally sentenced to eating disorders over one comment um I mean, someone told me she and another girl, I mean, this one really, really like messed me up. Um, she and the other girl were like the two fat girls in the class and the gym teacher had them be the, um, like the anchors for whatever game. I don't remember. And she said, I remember reading this. It was tug of war. They, uh, they, she put them in the back. Yeah. And, and she, she said that she, she became bulimic, which she struggled her whole life with. And the other girl died of, of um, she died of anorexia. So, I mean, a comment is not a minor thing to make. And the ironic thing is like, we're doing it so they'll get married, but like there's someone for everyone. Right. Why are we, why are we obsessing over like getting thin for Shaduchim? And here's another thing that I really hesitate to bring up because (laughs) this might upset people, but I heard some stories of people who lost a lot of weight for Shaduchim. And now their husbands pressure them to lose the weight back because the reality is that your body, if you're a larger woman, you're going to be a larger woman. You're not going to, I don't want to say never, but you're not going to keep all that weight off for life. You're going to have babies. You're going to have go through different things. You're going to gain weight. And when you, your husband married you because you were a size four and now you're a size 14, then there's pressure to be the size that he married you at. Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to put yourself yeah. like that? And it's almost, okay, this wording feels strange, but it's the only way that I could think to phrase it. It's almost not fair to him because let's no, say- you no, have, I, had, I had people said straight out that like either their mother-in-law or their husband or someone said like, like you you tricked me. Yeah, no, and and I kind of hear it. I kind of hear it. Meaning if you're, if you're going to lose a significant amount of weight just to date. Especially if you do it in an unhealthy and unsustainable way that like, you know, it's coming right back. And we know just factually that 95% of people who diet and lose a significant amount of weight do not keep it off and gain back even more weight than they, than they lost. So like, we just know that the math is not on your side. So if you end up with a guy who is into someone thin and who is attracted to someone thin and you are like for lack of a word you're kind of artificially thin like you that's just not where your body is gonna be this is not about weight but there's like a famous um story from like china where a guy married someone who had had a ton of plastic surgery and then he tried suing her when she had a baby who looked just like the way she looked pre-plastic surgery like that's fantastic that changed the way you look like you are who you are you would think that the kid also has parts of his genetics, though. Yeah, I, I don't, for I don't the know. record, <laughs> floating around the internet. I'm not sure how true it is, but but I want it to be true. Though. I hope it's yeah. true. But either way, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure because you've created a situation where someone has fallen in love with a version of you that only exists under very specific circumstances. And like when life stress happens, chances are that's gonna and and life stress happens, and you know whether that involves like pregnancy or just general stress, it's. Right. It's it's not going to stay that way. Right. And so now you've created a situation where you are bound to like disappoint, I guess. That feels really harsh right. to say it feels, though. It feels harsh, but I think I think your message is we we understand what you're saying. But I want to say another thing. A, a bunch of people made comments to me about 
how, how, you know, they can't believe how shallow men, men are that they only want thin women. And I don't really agree with that. I don't think there's a problem with being attracted to one type over another. There's, you know, it's okay. If you really are only attracted to thin women, not to say that you can't come to appreciate a, a larger woman when you get to know her, that's for sure something that happens. But I don't think it's shallow. I think the shallow issue is really more the mother is going back to this. I know I'm putting so much blame right. on them, but I really do put a lot of blame on them because it's like, always the mother's fault. If you learn uh, anything from like, why are they just so insistent that their son can only date a girl who's a, a size two? <coughs> but in reality, you know, guys date girls, guys fall in love with girls of every size. Right. Yeah, it's. Oh, it's it's tricky. I think that particularly when it comes to Shidduchim, to like the Orthodox Jewish dating system, this this model of a trophy wife, I think, has infiltrated the thinking a little more than we'd like to admit. Yeah. Um, and I think that it goes both ways. Like we want you either have to have like the top learner or the guy who is top in his law firm or, right. you know, whatever. Like we but, this. There's this awful, awful thing that when I was in Shidduchim, it bothered me so much of like. There's like shidduch math, I call it. Like if this girl has X problem and this boy has Y problem, are they equal? Like right. that's not how it works. Right. We're just humans. She like, has a tail and he has a mole, so they should get married. Yeah. And you know what? And how many times did me and other large girls get set up with other fat guys purely because we were both fat? And I actually used to have a line when I was in Shidduchim. And people would try to set me up with someone. And very often it was purely based on like a physical thing, whether we're both fat, whether we're both literally someone wanted to set me up with a guy because we're both redheads, like really, really like when it was things that just made no sense to me. I said, tell me a reason other than our weight that you think this is a good match. And if they had one thing, I said, okay, I'll give it a try. But if you can't tell me anything other than, you're fat and he's missing an ear. And that was literally a guy that someone tried to set me up with. What happened to his ear? He was born with only one ear and he had surgery. And I'm giving you an exact quote. He looks almost normal. (laughs) It wasn't the fact that he almost normal in quotes that bothered me. It was the fact they said, tell me why, other than the fact that I'm fat and he has a physical deformity that makes him willing to date a fat girl. Tell me why we're a good match. And they couldn't come up with anything. And usually they couldn't because we're, we're putting like externals together. Like you have to be the right personalities. You have to be a good match. Like who cares what they look like? That's not what we're, ma- we should be matching up. Yeah. I didn't know that you could be born with only one ear. I just learned that. Deformities. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I'm going to really resist the urge to end up on a Google rabbit hole of like random physical deformities that you can be born with. I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm not doing it. I see a, a weird one. I'll, I'll, I'll send you oh, I'm send a link. <laughs> <laughs> That's just going to become the extent of our chat. Just sending like yes. uh, congenital That's defects right. to each other. It's not funny. We shouldn't be laughing. But we I shouldn't. Think we need it's, a little it's very late, everybody. It's very late. It's very, it's way past our bedtime. Also, and we're a little emotionally also, hungover. Right. It's also just such a heavy topic that I think you need to laugh a little. It's true. How do you feel about the fact that, uh, for better or for worse, you've kind of become the spokesperson for from fat people? Oh, I hate it so much. This is not what I wanted from. <laughs> that being said, I, I know I'm making a difference. 
And it's really, really powerful to know that I've been able to make a difference. Um, various, but between the, the, the Mick for robe situation, which has been just so incredible for me to, to learn how much of a difference I made, but also so many messages from women saying, I have to, I've learned from these stories to watch what I say around my daughters, um, whether it's to not criticize the way they look, but also not to criticize the way the mother looks like not don't criticize yourself in front of your daughter, because we, you know, there's a quote, a few people actually sent me this same like Instagram um, post that someone posted, like children aren't born inherently hating their bodies. They learn to hate their bodies. And where do they learn from more than their parents? So, you know, people telling me they're learning to watch what they say in front of their children. That's huge because those are lives that are changed. So as much as I'm so uncomfortable, it's not like this is, I'm not, I'm not like at a place in my life where I'm fine about the fact that I'm fat and I'm fine with the pain that I've been through because of it and the body shaming and whatever, like nowhere near resolved. But, you know, this is where this is like, it, it happened. And, and now that I see how deep and bad the problem is, it, it, you know, I don't really, I feel like I don't really have a choice to back out at this point. Like I'm in it and I have to just, you know, accept, not have to, but I'm, I'm at a place where I realize this is, this is what I need to do. So, um, you know, there's so many more stories I could, I could say. And <laughs> um, I, I don't, I don't like to share the really bad stories, but I feel like they have to be shared to understand the vastness of the problem because even the really really bad stories i i genuinely think a lot of them come from a good place as hard as it is to believe even a grandmother calling her granddaughter fatso i know that sounds like how could that be coming from a good place but i think firstly different generation different times but also I think there are people out there that think if you shame the fat person, they'll lose weight. And that's a good thing. I know that's hard to comprehend, but I genuinely think that these people think they're, they're thought. I, I, think, I think times are turning enough that people are not still thinking that, or hopefully not many people. But I think the person, people are trying to help. And I think that's the most important thing that we have to take away from all of this is like, if you have good intentions, it's not good enough, right? Right. Um, so we probably should wrap up, but unless you have a specific question that I want to, I want to share, I want to talk about one last thing. Did you have anything you want to ask before I do? Or? Floor is yours. What do you got? <laughs> so, um, again, going back to the polls that I did. Um, so my last poll that I did, as I said, try to be honest with yourself and also try to keep in mind the way you felt three days ago. Cause I think the last three days have been eye opening for everybody who's been reading all of this, um, do you think you judge people based on their physical appearance and based on their body size? And 65% of people said yes. And I'm not calling anyone a liar. That feels low. No, I'm really not. I think it's just hard to really. You're not calling them a liar. I am. Big difference. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I think that the number is almost 100%. And there actually is an implicit um, bias test from Harvard that you can Google, or I don't know if you have like show notes that you can put the link in. I will link it, yeah. Um, um, you can test your, your implicit bias. Um, 
I actually was trying to do it last night and then I got distracted um, and I didn't go back to it. It's a, it takes a few minutes, like give yourself some time. Um, I believe the number is much closer to 100%, maybe 100%. I think that whether we want to admit it or not, whether we really can look deep within ourselves and, and, and realize it or not, I think we all judge people based on their appearance, maybe not their weight, but I think we all look at people and we all make snap judgments. So someone whose clothes are nice, we think, oh, they have their life together. Or someone who has designer clothing, like, oh, they must live a glamorous life. <clears throat> or someone, <clears throat> and this is, you know, well, well documented that people who are fat are seen as lazy. They're seen as unmotivated. They're seen as I don't really understand why, but they're seen as slobs and the bias is there. And I don't think any of us can really, really look inside ourselves and say, I don't have any bias, but I think we can work to change that. So I think whatever it looks like for you, you know, whatever your bias is, you need to work on it and you need to, to remind yourself that people are much more than the way they look. Yeah, what she said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that for me, you see, it's this has been very interesting to me to read over the last couple of days because to be perfectly honest, I hear stories like this almost every single day um, mm -hmm. for very obvious reasons. People right. feel very comfortable telling me about their their body image struggles in whatever way that may be. And I've heard stories like this from women of all sizes almost continuously, I would say, basically like from for like the past two, three years now. Um, and it's also, you know, it's something that I talk about a lot. It's also because people, I think, assume that I feel fantastic in my skin every single day because I do talk a lot about body positivity and feeling good in your skin. And um, sorry to disappoint everyone, but that's not the case. I don't think everybody, I don't think that there's a person on this planet who feels fantastic every, you know, Every single day. You yeah. Know, I, I just don't think that that person exists. Like Reese Witherspoon wakes up feeling gross some days. She just does. I'm sure that I, I I'm sure that she, that Elle Woods feels fantastic every day, but Reese Witherspoon, she has some, she has some gross days also. And I think that when it comes to, I, there was a part of me, I don't know if I really thought this or if I kind of hoped this, that, okay, I'm hearing this from you know, the people who there was like selection bias, the people who gravitate towards my page and who gravitate towards my message message are people who, you know, struggle with these types of of issues. And therefore, I'm hearing a lot of these stories. Um, but your audience is just people who like to cook or people like me who don't like to cook and still need to feed other people. Um, so it's it's much it was really eye opening to me in the widespreadness of it in yeah. in just how endemic this thinking is in our communities I don't know if and I really in the world. I don't know if I mentioned this, this poll before that I asked people, have you ever been the subject of some kind of body shaming? And 81% of people said, yes, they were. That's a very large percentage of people in beautiful bodies who should feel good about the way they look and who don't because they've been body shamed. Right. Like 81% of people can't possibly be hideous. You know what I mean? Like, even if you want to say that, like, okay, it, okay, right. so like, like if you're really gross, better looking than others, but like, but like, eighty-one percent of people can't be trolls. 
like realize that 81% is the majority. Like even if that means at least I'm terrible at math. So I might totally be getting this wrong. That means that 30% of those people are above average, right? Because 50%. Oh, I hear that. Yeah. I'm not really great at math either, but I'll stand behind those numbers. I'm looking over at my husband to see if he's going to confirm that my math makes any sense, but. <laughs> well, no, if 80% of people have been body shamed, then you presume that 50% of people are, you know, b- above average looking and below average looking. So at least 30% of those people have to be above average looking. Right, right. Yeah, I can get behind this math. I passed algebra. <laughs> I like it. I didn't like it, but. I feel like if a mathematician is listening, they're probably like <laughs> banging their head against the wall, but. Feel free to direct all um, math questions to at Overtime Cook on Instagram. <laughs> I want to tell you. And she will probably I'm delete your message. so bad at math, but because of my job, I am so good at rest- recipe math. Like Fractions. Well, yes and no. Like not all fractions, but like I can tell you that an eighth of a cup is two tablespoons. I mean, and you ask me, you know, in a third of a cup, like, I shouldn't know this because I'm so bad at math, but it's in, in a third of a cup, there's 16 tablespoons in a cup. So that's five and a third tablespoons, which is five tablespoons and one teaspoon. Like, I'm so good at this math. <laughs> but I, I totally lost terrible. track of what you said, but I'll take your word for it. And I'm very so good at pattern math. Kind of math. <laughs> I'm very good at pattern fractions. So, you know, I work in I work in inches. So like eighths, eighths of an inch, quarter of an inch, six, sixteenths, yeah. all of those. I can convert those into decimals so I can do all the different math for like curves and stuff. That I'm fantastic at. But yeah, percentages, not my jam. But e- <laughs> either way, it's it's you're right. It is to see how widespread this is. It's 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 overwhelming it's yeah. it's overwhelming i mean I you must really be exhausted oh beyond what you can begin to imagine but I, I really think that the thing that that people really should walk away from this with i mean obviously as a society we need to change but that feels very overwhelming like to change a society but you can say how can i change what can i do better and i think that's really like if each person listening to this does that Could you imagine how much better the world will be already just from that? Like, you know, whether it's you have to look at a fat person in your life and instead of thinking like what a lazy person or if only they made better choices, think, wow, they must have gone through a lot of pain in their life. And then don't talk about it. Yeah. And just keep your mouth shut. That's that's for sure. See, there's a there's a, a question that I ask on the show um, whenever we're talking about a specific issue, and it loosely translates to the how not to be a butthead question. So it's, you know, whatever the topic is at hand, it's, you know, I'll, I'll usually ask persons here. So how do we not be a butthead to people dealing with fill in the blank? And you've just answered that question perfectly. It's, don't make comments on people's bodies, even if you think it's a compliment. I mean, that's a whole other topic we didn't get to touch on, but compliments are not always compliments, you know, yeah. I mean, someone who lost 50 pounds and looks amazing might've lost those 50 pounds because of chemo. Like you don't know what, why someone looks quote unquote good. And you can say, I love what you're wearing. You can even say like, you look great. It's great to see you. Like you lost so much weight. You look amazing. Like that also implies you didn't look amazing before you lost so much weight, you know? Right. So it, there's just, I one time, this just popped into my head. I one time asked on my page, what was something 
what was really going on when you were complimented on weight loss? And I got all sorts of answers. Usually it was illness related or life stress related, um, you know, from a medication or something like that, or like just like so stressed out they couldn't eat. One person said that she could not afford to feed herself. People were complimenting her. She she got really skinny because she couldn't afford to put food on the table. And so she was spending, she was feeding her kids first and she herself was eating very little and she lost a ton of weight and she was getting compliments on it. And nobody knew that they literally couldn't put food on the table. And that stuck with me, I think for two reasons. First of all, you don't think about it. Like, I think that we're used to hearing like, oh, they might be sick. They might be stressed. They might be this. Never in a million years would it have occurred to me. They might be too poor to feed themselves. That's number one. Wow. And also- Congratulations, Rifki. I didn't th- think that anyone could say anything weight related that would shock me at this point, And you just did. <laughs> I win the night, everybody. I won. <laughs> but also the thing that was so crazy, every single time she heard that, like, can you imagine what would have happened if she would have said what was really going on? Thanks no. so much. I can't buy. Thanks so much. I can't buy food. Appreciate the compliment. We can't buy food. Right. Actually, I have a, a friend who, whose father was dealing with cancer and lost a lot of weight. And he had been heavier before. And 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 she said when people complimented his weight loss, he said, thanks, I have cancer. <laughs> Just like that. Thanks, I have cancer. <laughs> That's, yeah. You should answer, though, because that that also will teach No, when people. you have cancer, you can say whatever you want. You're allowed to say whatever you want, so... He's yeah, I give him a that's a fantastic answer in my book. But wow. no, also people so many people told me when they're asked if they're pregnant and no, I'm just fat. Yeah. Yeah. I have um I know someone who every time she was asked if she was pregnant, she said that she had just miscarried. Just so that they would feel so terrible and never do it again. She said that she had miscarried once. I, I wanna I really I'm gonna tell you a story, another one of those that just really stuck with me. Someone when her mother-in-law found out she miscarried, by the way. I don't know if my mother-in-law will listen to this, but I have so much great gratitude to my mother-in-law and my mother from hearing all these stories and just realizing how bad it could be. But anyway, someone said that when her, when she, when her mother-in-law heard that she miscarried, she said, it's because you're so fat. Uh, yeah. If it wasn't very clear from the deep sigh and aching heart that I have, you did not cause your miscarriage anybody listening you did not cause your miscarriage it sometimes these things just happen and they're awful but you did not cause your miscarriage and it certainly was not because you're too fat and also i'd like to punch that woman in the face yeah there's a lot of people i would like to punch in the face after the last few days yeah (laughs) yeah i i hear you this has been i don't even know how to describe how the last couple uh, for me as someone who has been tangentially involved um it's been draining it has been emotionally exhausting in a way that I didn't think was possible and I can only imagine how much more so I I I don't think I shared 10% of the stories I think I shared less than 10% and you shared hundreds of stories Yeah, yeah like literally hundreds and I think that it's 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 hard to comprehend that there is this much I don't even want to say hatred but ignorance or right just yeah. yickiness I, very few of the comments seem to be mean-spirited I mean they were awful and cruel and horrible but I maybe I'm just 
just an optimist and naive, but I, I really think that a lot of the, even the cruel comments, I think a lot of them were just made by people with very, very misguided love. Yeah. And I think I would have to agree with you. I, um, I don't remember if I heard this recently or I read this recently, but even, even the worst, like nobody wants to hurt their kids. Like it, it's, that's, there's a reason why parents who harm their children in some way are so horrifying and so shocking and why right. they're literally psychopaths because it's so right. outside of the norm to cause harm to any child and even more so your own child. Right. And the fact that there were so many of these stories that were coming from their own parents, plenty yeah. from mothers, plenty from fathers also. Yeah, the vast you know, majority were, were parents, grandparents were, were, were the, the, the biggest group that that caused all these stories. And I, I genuinely believe that 99.9% of them were, were really loving parents who meant well. And who just didn't know any better. Yeah. And that I think is probably the saddest part because yeah. it's not like they were trying to harm their children for life they were just doing the best they could with the information they had yeah yeah oh on that depressing note note. (laughs) (laughs) oh miriam what does it mean to you to make an impact i hope people's lives improve i think we did a lot of that tonight i really hope so i really hope so if somebody wants to find you or learn more about you, Miriam, where can they go? Well, my website is overtimecook.com. And that's where you can find delicious recipes, <laughs> which is very not connected to this. Um, How's that for a right turn, uh, uh, for a hard left turn? Um, but, um, if you want to see this particular discussion, there's two highlights on my page because there were too many for one highlight. So there's two highlights on my page called Let's Do Better. That's what I named the highlights. And so you can read all those comments there. And there will be more on my page because obviously this is not the end of the discussion. So, yeah. And I'm going to link to all of that in the show notes. Um, thank you so much for taking the time tonight, Miriam. I, thank you for having me, Rifki. This was, this was something else for sure. Yeah, yeah. I won't say I enjoyed it, but it's important. I'm glad we did it. Same. Very much same. <laughs> I enjoyed parts of it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more about Miriam, the links are in the show notes. I've also included a link to that implicit bias test. Take it and see where you fall. On the last episode, I spoke with Rukama Jaffa Rosenzweig about the process of dating her husband. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 18 people listed by Ora Agunot as recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzwitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.m. As always, here's to making an impact together.